we realized it was a bear because then the, the running stopped and then you could just hear this intense mm-hmm. yeah. breathing. It definitely stopped Sniffing our around tent. our tent. So that was Jen and David from Jen and David Acra. We talk about all things bear encounters, the difference between being an acrobat and a yogi, and a whole lot more. You're really going to enjoy these two. They are a ton of fun. So without further ado, let's get to Becoming Legendary with Jen and David. Maximize every opportunity so that you can become legendary. You can become What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself 1% Your better? Your only goal is to be the best version of you. David, so thank you so, so, so much for coming on Becoming Legendary today. How are you guys? Thanks for inviting us. We're doing well. How are you? Lovely. (laughs) (laughs) So I I expect this question to be a little different for each of you. So you guys get to flip a coin or whatever to decide how to to answer this one first. What does a typical day in your life look like? Oh, wow. Maybe David can go first. (laughs) Typical day for me involves usually about... Five or six hours at the coffee shop. So I also work at Peixoto. Yeah. And um, other than that, I just hate it with. <laughs> <laughs> How rad is that? Uh, yeah, that or I also teach um, spinning at Flow Cycle. Yeah. Do acro mm-hmm. when we find the opportunity to. But yeah, that's yeah. pretty much just living life right now. <laughs> we, yeah, we kind of mentioned this to you earlier, but we took like a complete 180 where... We were both working in corporate, and then that was, like, super structured. We never saw each other, and now we're just, like, we get to spend all the days together when he's not at the coffee shop. So. Yeah. And I quit all of my jobs in October of last year to teach yoga, so things are kind of, like, not structured at all now. I just have those teaching classes that I have yeah. throughout the day, and then some private lessons, some meetings with friends. So just depends on when I wake up, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> how and nice like, is that freedom? It's kind of nice. We um, have been looking for that freedom for a long time. Yeah. So it's nice to. It's always finally, there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's nice to finally feel it on an authentic level and to be able to live it and experience it fully. You know, today. Yeah. And see where it goes tomorrow. You know. Both of you guys made a corporate switch at the same time. About the same time. So I met David. Um, right when he was going to quit his corporate job to go hiking the Appalachian Trail, um, which is like 2,200 miles, like a five to six month hike. And I was like, wow, this guy's really cool. And how rad is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's so cool. <laughs> I'm biased. I mean, he's my husband. He's cool. But <laughs> Um, so that gave me a lot of, I'm like, wow, that's so brave and courageous. And I was kind of in transition with my job anyway. So, um, somehow we started dating and (laughs) the rest is history. So then a year later I quit my job and then we went to hike the John Muir trail in California. Yeah. Which is beautiful. David, what was the last straw for you? I don't know. I just remember just feeling unhappy at the job. There was no sense of purpose yeah. no fulfillment and somehow I came across the idea that I was going to go hike yeah. and then it just like consumed my attention mm-hmm. and I think that 
that's how I knew that I was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, then he met me. Then I met her. And I had a chance. And then there was like a little diversion. <laughs> Yeah, a little, what's the diversion? What do you mean? Expand on that. <laughs> a diversion of positivity. Yeah. <laughs> Energy. Yeah, yeah, so I ended up um, still going on the hike in the Appalachian Trail. I did the first 500 miles. Okay. I had to come back due to family, mm-hmm. um, family, family situation. Mm-hmm. And once I came back, it was hard to leave. Mm. I know. <laughs> So the Appalachian Trail is still on the checklist then? It is still on the checklist to finish it. Yeah. And Jen says so she's going to finish it with Yeah, me. I'm on set to How rad that is that? Him. Yeah. I mean, when I first met David, he did ask me if I liked hiking. And I was like, absolutely, I love it. And then we went to hike the John Muir Trail. And I was like, why would anybody choose to walk up a mountain? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't quite understand. I think one day I will. Mm. <laughs> My body doesn't like going up like, inclination. Oh. <laughs> I can see that mountain just fine from down here. The mountain is so beautiful from down here. Mm. But I get it. I get it. And I think that, you know, when I did hike the part of the John Muir Trail, it was very exciting and fulfilling in its own way and very challenging in its own way. Yeah. And so I had a lot of emotional breakthroughs during that hike, mm. for sure. For sure. Did those come from the expansion of your physical limitations or more from mental limitation expansion? Probably both, Mm. but I wasn't aware of it at the time because at that time, um, from my corporate job, I I think I was feeling pretty numb. Like I couldn't really feel or be like, be aware of a lot of what I was feeling just because the corporate life kind of numbed me out to a lot of that. I became very, um, I became kind of mean actually, Mm. (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I didn't, I couldn't distinguish a lot of my feelings. So it was either like a lot of feeling or like no feeling at all. Mm. And so that's what I was experiencing on the trip was just a ton of emotion and energy um, when it was really physically difficult or like I was asleep, you know, <laughs> and that was, that was kind of the path for a few, a few days there. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you guys this. This will be, so this has just come into my awareness. There's only been 12 people that have ever hiked the length of the Grand Canyon. Mm. Um, and I think there's been 24 people that have walked on the moon. So for some reason that's become really enticing to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I grew up in this world where my brother and I and our little group of, of friends kind of were surrounded by thousands of miles of like, um, cow fields, right? Mm-hmm. So there was just space everywhere. And, and in that space, you could find old abandoned homesteads and you could find creeks and you could find rivers and you could find snakes. So most of my, like, oh, my experience in hiking has been more adventuring, right? And we used to do it barefoot. So our, our experience would be how deep into the wilderness can we get barefoot and like, how can we recreate this native lifestyle as much Mm -hmm. as possible? And then you come here and hiking is like walking a trail (laughs) and everyone's like, all right, let's go on a hike. And you're like, well, this is just walking on a path. But then you realize you get off the path here and like everything wants to kill you. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. instantly everything had, wants to kill you we had a bear encounter oh you did on your show, yeah. okay tell me about that let's get into bear encounters 
<laughs> we're like changing the topic <laughs> a little bit. Um, yeah, that actually, so the year that we went to the John Muir Trail, there were a lot of fires that year, which is really kind of sad. Um, so that's actually why we only hiked a quarter of it. We had to leave because they were turning everyone away mm. afterwards just because there was so much smoke and it was, it was getting kind of unhealthy to hike it. Um, but the night before we left, we had, I think that was one of the hardest days where my body was feeling really, really, really tired. And granted, we, we probably didn't train as much as we should have for it. I'm like, the hike is <laughs> training. I'm like, the hike, yeah, I'm like, the hike is training. We'll just, you know, we'll just like work it through on the trail. But it was really difficult because the second day we had to hike up a pass, which is like the, the biggest incline for the first like 10 days of the trek. And so, um, my body was so achy and I remember, um, at nighttime I was just like, please like universe, if, if I should leave the trail, like (laughs) give me, give me a sign. And it's just so funny because that night our stove burst into flames. Mm. So we didn't have a stove and I was just like, oh oh my gosh, like what are we going to do? And it literally blew up in our face. Um, not sure how that happened. We're still (laughs) confused about that one. Um, and then we went to sleep and the the tent next to your for Yosemite and the area around it for John Muir Trail, you have to carry a bear box and you have to put all your food in there, like everything that's scented, like suntan lotion, chapstick, everything into this box. And we're like, okay, we followed all the rules. You like put it 30 feet away from our tent, but um, not everybody follows this rule. So this tent next to us, we got to this campsite and it was so packed that that day for some reason. And there was a man who kept his gateway bottle outside his tent. And then I remember around 3 a.m., David and I woke up together simultaneously and we're just like, oh my gosh, I think there's a bear outside. And in my mind, I thought it was like a rock fall. And in my dream, like I was kind of half awake, half asleep. And I was like, wow, it'd be really, really unfortunate if a rock fell in our tent. Cause that's how close it felt. Like I was just like, man, like that would really suck. And David was like, it's like waking up from deep sleep. It's like here, it was almost like something you knew something ran by the tent. Yeah. And David thought it was a deer, and he was like, man. In my mind, I was like, it would really suck if a deer was just running and just like didn't see this tent and just like took it out. So we both we both had a very similar lucid dream, and then we both like woke up at the same time. We're just like bear, Mm, (laughs) right next. We realize it was a bear because then the, the running stopped and then you could just hear this intense yeah. breathing it definitely stopped sniffing our around our tent and it was right by my head and you can you can feel its presence it was really majestic but at the same time like I'm very scared because there's Seems a bear great. outside of our tent <laughs> yeah. and it feels very big <laughs> it's just like this deep sniff yeah and um and I kept telling David to go outside and he was like no <laughs> He was like, sacrifice yourself to the bear. I was like, you're the mountain man. Okay. I'm just becoming a wilderness woman. This is my first time trying to be this wilderness woman. I'm not ready tonight. And so like, I was trying to send David outside and he was like, absolutely not. I'm not going outside, Jen. And then they tell you to like clap really loudly and say, bear, bear, go away. But we were just, we did the opposite. We were just frozen. Like, we just yeah. didn't do anything. That seems like what you would do. Yeah. yeah. In my mind, I'm like, I'm going to stay quiet. <laughs> if I see a paw coming through the tent, then <laughs> yeah. I'll start making noises. <laughs> sure. Um, 
But, you know, the bears in that area of the valley, they're supposed to be very shy and sweet. So they, they don't, they don't, they're not like attacking bears. Um, and so we, we had a headlamp and then we just turned it on. I think it scared it away and it ran off. Hmm. And the next morning there was a girl who was cowboy camping. So she didn't have a tent or anything. She was just kind of sleeping under the stars. And she told this funny story in the morning. She was like, yeah, actually I saw a bear come up to this tent and we both kind of like looked at each other and mutually scared each other and screamed. <laughs> and then it ran away, stopped by our tent. And then we scared it away with our, our light. And then she was just like, yep, yeah, we're, you know, we're all just scared of each other. So <laughs> we just keep the peace and keep going. Yeah. But I got two big signs that night that maybe continuing on the trail was <laughs> going to be our path for that year. And then that morning we woke up and there was a huge smoke cloud in the sky. And that was the cloud for, for some of the closer fires. Yeah. They had closed off some of the, the um, places that we were supposed to hike through. So that was our final sign. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, Hey, things don't always go as planned. Like we wanted to do all 200 miles and we wanted to see all of the beauty that John Muirchill had and more. We wanted to spend a long time on that trail, but, um, but yeah, that year, taking a little detour so we'll get back there someday i guess but um yeah we've been yeah. since then i think we've been really cool with just kind of going more with the flow of life and that was mm. the beginning of the end of everything <laughs> i guess beginning of the end of everything yeah yeah wow it good, was the beginning of the end of um of an entire identity that I had for mm. a really long time. So it yeah. was kind of a nice, like right after I quit my corporate job, I went hiking. So it was really like this, um, letting go of, of something that I held close to in my heart for a really long time, like an identity that I had for a super long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point to get to because I think that's, why I'm really most excited to talk to you guys, right? I don't, I don't know you guys all that well on a deep mm -hmm. level. Jen, you and I exchange a question or two before class on Fridays. <laughs> Very <and> philosophical. <laughs> like I always think you're going to ask me what flavor of kombucha. Is, uh, <laughs> it's always something about, you know, the universe. <laughs> yeah. I sat down for dinner the other day and, um, had a dinner. It was like, whatever, two hours later. And we got up and, um, person I was having dinner with was like, you really don't enjoy small talk. <laughs> Get thought, right to it. How are you today? And I thought, oh, probably should have started with that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. No, I love that. I love that. Um, I want to, I want to work my way into this path of kind of your, um, merging with yoga and taking your lifestyles toward more towards yoga. And I want to start with the fact that you are practitioners of acro yoga. Mm -hmm. So I really want to know the difference between an acrobat and a yogi. Yeah. That's something that's been really hard for us to explain to people. Mm. Um, and, and that's actually why we don't really call acro. When we say we teach acro, we usually don't say we teach acro yoga mm. because in my opinion and with my studies and, and my background is more in like the yoga therapy aspect as well. Um, 
they're just it's complete it's a completely different philosophy mm. yoga and acrobatics yeah um so for yoga you know um a lot of our practice is based off of the eight limbs and like there's just um it, yeah like the, it's like more of this eastern philosophy eastern way of thinking a lot of yin yang philosophy that i kind of add into my teaching as well with acrobatics it's like just go hard like all the time mm. <laughs> like if it hurts great like perfect yeah and so for us for our teaching i think that's why our teaching style is so unique because we do bring a lot of the yoga energy into our acro classes um which is kind of like the inclusivity, the meeting yourself exactly where you're at, being patient with your acrobatic practice. But at the same time, we're teaching more high level stuff. Like we're teaching people how to become very aware of their body in midair, like as they're being tossed or as they're jumping through something. Um, so, so for, for acro, at least from the style that I teach, you know, here and, and throughout the valley, which is much more therapeutic, on the acrobatic front, it's definitely much more athletic, for sure. Um, the acro yoga in the beginning, it, it got created by two people. One person was um, a sports acrobatic practitioner. Like, he was competing. Mm -hmm. And he met, I believe, she was a yogi. Mm -hmm. And I think she was, like, into Thai massage as well. Yeah, so the two of them came together and just started seeing, like, what they could do. And they realized that, like, sports acrobatics you're pretty much beating your body up. Mm -hmm. So your body's just degrading to mm -hmm. the point that like, if you're competing, you're not going to be doing it for too long. Yeah. And what they decided to try to create was um, a balance. So having a little bit of acrobatics with the healing aspects of yoga mm -hmm. to try to extend your practice. Yeah. And so from that's there, how acro yoga first <clears throat> began. Yeah. So I think a lot of people get confused with healing acro yoga. They think that the goal of it is, is to do yoga poses on another person. Right, right. Whereas the yoga mm -hmm. portion is more about that being balanced. Yeah, yeah. The complement mm -hmm. of healing your body to allow mm -hmm. it to to allow you to practice acrobatics as long as you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At least that's our point of view yeah. from it. Um, and then we were trained in in Spain with a group called Partner Acrobatics, which I think more accurately describes the way that we bring this practice, this acro practice to the community here in Phoenix um, and to the different communities that we teach at because um, it is, it's partner work that you do with, with various people. You can come with a partner, you can bring a group of friends, you can meet strangers and do these partner poses, partner, um, you know, exercises together and kind of make something really beautiful out of it. But at the end of the day, like our goal for partner acrobatics and our goal for teaching in general is to really connect people. I think that's why we love it so much is because at the end of the day, the similarity between acrobatics and between yoga is that it brings communities together and it makes us more aware of who we are as an individual and then maybe who we are in a community and a group. And it kind of is really beautiful as you watch that transform throughout mm -hmm. the community. I, th I think that idea of extending extending um, physical capabilities in, in all levels is a really mm -hmm. important part of just self care in general. Mm -hmm. However, sure. however, your path towards self care um, as a society, we've gotten away from the concern with self care. Mm -hmm. Right. It's how can we create uh, the most extreme version of this moment? One, because I think 
a lot of us have been in positions where we've numbed our, our sensation to feeling. Mm-hmm. So in order to just create a sense within us, we need to find an extreme. And when we get to that extreme, then it's like, oh yeah, there's feeling there. I remember that. <laughs> but also this desire to kind of um, peacock, right? It's like, how can we, how can we peacock our experience to the world? And in order to peacock your experience, you have to capture a moment mm-hmm. on, on the extreme because sitting on the couch is, isn't really that enticing. <laughs> like here's a picture of me sitting on the couch. This is what yeah. I did on Tuesday night. It was great. Yeah. Who's going to like that? Uh, there's not, right? there's not a lot of likes. In <laughs> maybe I'm going to try that. <laughs> I mean, maybe we're all just super awake now and we're like, wow, that self care. Amazing. <laughs> I want to get into that. So where do you think, where do you think we are as a, as culturally, right? Culturally, where's the, where's the direction? Where do we need to go to get self-care as a, as a more important piece of, of society? I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I, I do believe that our generation today is waking up a lot to Mm. that self-care, to that awareness, to that just, I guess, a higher level of consciousness. I think that um, the world and the universe kind of works in these waves and we've had generations where they're super awake and everybody's just all about that, that healing and being able to become very in tune with the intuition and with the body and with the mind, being able to connect all of that, which is why we teach yoga as well, right? Like that's kind of the goal is to unite all of those things to be able to unite how you feel, how you, how your body feels, how your mind is feeling and to kind of bring that into this, um, this wholeness, this consensus. So I do think that our generation is waking up to that quite a bit. And I've talked to a lot of my younger cousins. So I, I say this quote a lot when I'm teaching is when you heal yourself, you heal the world. And for a long time. And the reason that I even, I think went into business is because I wanted to like heal the world. I'm like, it's my job to fix everything in the world. And then I got really sad from that because, you know, once you get into that world, you realize there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very, it can be very exhausting. Um, there is a lot of work to be done. Um, but I didn't realize that most of that work was inside, like with me, like how I mm-hmm. viewed the world and how I felt like I could impact it. Um, little by little with little ripple effects that, that you, you know, that you begin with just how you feel about waking up in the morning. And so, um, that's kind of when I began that work, but I think that I've started to see those ripple effects in my family, which is really huge because my family is very stubborn. And, um, it's one of those things where we used to have a lot of conflict every time I brought up something that was suggesting change Mm. in, in the family, it would be an automatic, like, Oh no, 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 that's not for us. Like, that's not, that's not the norm. Like that's not what we want. And I think a lot of that is because my family escaped Cambodia during a genocide, like during a time of great turmoil. So I think a lot of that impacted the way that I grew up and the way that I see the world. 
And the world seemed really dark for a really long time. Like growing up, the world was not a safe place. So I'm just starting to teach myself now that it can be safe and that it can be really beautiful. And it's taken a long time for me to, to come to that realization. But little by little, I, I can see it in my younger sister, my younger cousins. They're, they're just like, they're like radiating like love and joy. And it's really cool to see that as they're growing up in this, in this, um, I guess new world, like new, new lens for them. Um, and it's really cool because I think, <laughs> I think what really happened was, and I don't even know if this is answering the question, but I'm starting to talk about this story now. But the reason that I, um, feel like this made a big impact in my family is because when I, when David and I got married, our plan was to get a van and like deck it out and then go travel you know, North America and the world, like mm-hmm. just traveling in our van and becoming like nomads and just teaching. And <clears throat> I was really, really afraid to tell my parents about it because mm-hmm. all they have ever wanted for me and my sister is for us to have a safe and beautiful life. And for them, like safety is, you know, having um, a stable job and a home, <clears throat> excuse me. Mm-hmm. And so it was very, um, I don't want to say it was very like closed minded of them, but for them, like that's what they felt safety was. Like they had ran away from a country that was unsafe to find safety here. And all they wanted for it was for us, it was this, this happiness, Mm -hmm. you know, the safety and happiness. And I told them the exact opposite. I'm like, yes, I want uncertainty. This is going to be a fabulous. We might not have any money and basically we're going to be houseless. And then in their minds are like, great, they're going to be homeless. (laughs) This is terrible. Excuse me. And, um, and so a really huge thing for me was the night that I got engaged with David. I actually, right before I had a dinner with my family and I had to tell them that I was, I had this plan. I was like, I'm not going to pursue anything in business anymore. I'm going to go on this trip. And I was terrified. And then I, I told them this was the first real conversation. I was like, that was like three years. So I was like 27. My first real conversation that I ever had with my, my parents, um, telling them exactly how I felt for the first time in my entire life. And I thought that they would be so disappointed, but when I told them, they were just like, oh, we know. Mm. We love you no matter what. Yeah. Like, don't you know that? And I'm like, I didn't. Like, I never believed that yeah. in my heart. Like, I always felt like I knew that their love was very unconditional, but I didn't, I couldn't integrate that mm. with my mind and my body. Like, in some way, there was something blocking my understanding and my acceptance of their unconditional love. And so, <clears throat> but it's funny because... This trickle effect um, I can see happening with my family now because ever since I told my family that we wanted to, you know, get this van and travel and all that stuff, it's manifested so differently because we don't have a van now. It's been two years. <laughs> we have just found jobs that we really enjoy in Phoenix. We're just living, living the life right now the way that we want to and kind of taking our own time to get there. But I realized that telling them that I wanted this freedom was the important task mm. and telling them that I wanted a life that was different from what I had expected and what they had expected was the task. And ever since then, my dad has been looking for like RVs because he's like, we'll go on the trip with you. <laughs> and like, <clears throat> I would have never had any idea that he would want any of this, but, yeah. um, but that had to come from a place of being very awake and, and at least 
from a place of waking up and being and saying like, Hey, this is how I truly feel. And I'm going to be brave about it and tell the people that I care the most about because they're the people who I care the, like the opinion of the most and kind of see where it goes. Cause I could be totally rejected or I could be accepted with love and I'm just going to risk it all here to tell them this because, um, because it's my job. It's my, it's my life's work to be able to listen to this intuition and pursue this path wherever it takes me. It can manifest in a different way. But, um, but ever since then I have seen everyone in my family be much more in tune with what they're feeling and being much more brave with how they like to communicate it. And I think ever since then, maybe I just noticed, excuse me, noticed it more because as you start to become more in tune to things and like your vibration attracts very similar vibrations. So just maybe since then I've just met a lot of people who are living wide awake. And so I do believe that in our generation now, there's a lot more people just opening up to this freedom and this sense of peace and joy and living on purpose. It's been interesting watching her cousins, a lot of them. Growing up, you get that pressure from your parents to find a job of stability and like be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer. Mm -hmm. But then seeing and having her cousins see her decide to not pursue that path has opened their eyes to the fact mm-hmm. that they don't have to, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, they can do, they can pursue what they love. Mm-hmm. Like they don't even have to go to school. Mm-hmm. I think that was a lot of pressure for some of my cousins was to go um, to university and have to pay for all of that and to study business because all, everybody in my family, you know, owns a business or is in business and I study business. So it was, and I'm the oldest out of all my younger cousins. I'm kind of a, lone, a loner where I'm seven years older than my sister. And then all my younger cousins are much younger than me as well. So I was kind of lifted on this pedestal for a long time in my family where they're like, you need to be like Jen because um, she did business and, you know, she was very successful in business and all this stuff. And it was so much pressure for them. And I never realized it until I decided to let go of that entire identity and say, I'm just going to live my life one day at a time now. And to see, yeah, it's very true to see all of my cousins say, okay, maybe I can live my life too. Because we never knew that we had permission to yeah, do that. For sure. Um, I don't think my parents knew they had permission to do that. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody in my family, I think once they found safety here, they're just like, okay, now we need to make a life. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so it's just kind of been like this automatic thing for a long time. And, and just, Last month, I think my mom, for the first time, my mom said, I think there's some work that I need to do <laughs> in my life to address some of the traumas that I've yeah. experienced. And I'm just like, awareness. what? <laughs> yeah. Because if I had brought that up, you know, saying like, there's work that you need to do, she would have been like, I'm perfect. I don't need to do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with my whole family. So, um, so yeah, I do see it more, I think. I want to ask a, a question for clarification, then I want to get any yeah. insight that you have on that. that. But <laughs> you said something in there that I thought was interesting. You said you needed to ask this permission from the people that matter most in your life. Mm-hmm. And I want to know in your experience is, are you the person that matters most? Is your opinion the person that matters most or is it, or have you Mm -hmm. placed your family's opinion above your own? I think that 
if you you if you're asking me now at this moment, I it am. is my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it is my opinion <laughs> that matters most. But but three years ago it was definitely my family. Mm. That's why I did many things in mm. life. Like it was to make my family very happy and proud, yeah. um, because I could see the happiness that it brought them. Yeah. Um, but really so what yeah, they want is for you to be happy. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. And I had no idea. I was just like, no, I must become the, and I did, I mean, I did really well in school. I was like the most outstanding graduating senior, you know, in college. I, you know, I carried my flag at graduation and gave a speech in front of thousands of people at graduation. So it was wild. And yeah. I was homecoming queen as well. <laughs> so it was just kind of like, I did everything to be uh, perfect mm. to be absolutely perfect in everyone else's eyes, especially my parents, because I knew the love that they had for me. And I, I think the root feeling of it all was that I never believed that I deserved it. Mm. Um, and I don't know where that comes from. I wonder if it was something that I just kind of grew up with. And I realized with my family, I think we always feel like we have to work to earn things because, you know, we have to like earn our, you know, our, um, our love in a way. And I don't think that they tell us that, like they don't say you have to work hard in order to get love. It's just, I think my grandma has always felt like she's needed to work really hard to show her love, to like express her love. That's just her love language in, in many respects. Same with my mom. So I kind of grew up with that. And I was like, now I must earn this. I feel like I'm so undeserving because their love is so precious to me. And I am just starting to realize in the past three to four years of um, studying yoga therapy and going through this yoga teacher training, which I started because actually never intending to become a teacher because I just started because I had anxiety going to yoga classes and I was like, well, I better learn the poses. So I'll go take this teacher training because why not? And um, again, the beginning of the end of everything. Um, but that was when I started to realize um, all of these false truths that I have been attached to my entire life, yeah. um, growing up with it, or maybe they were acquired growing up somehow. But I, um, I started to realize that they were false, like they were unreal. Yeah, freedom. Yeah, and and it's funny because the word that I had been focusing on for the past four years, especially in teacher training, was the word freedom. Because I don't think I ever knew what that authentically felt like. Yeah. And I think that's why I wanted to run away in a van. <laughs> so yeah. that was well, my definition of freedom was getting a van and leaving Arizona as soon as possible. Mm. And, um, and just the act of saying out loud that I wanted freedom was the freedom itself. And so when I realized that, I think it became real. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's kind of what brought us here. And, yeah, right now I'm learning to love myself much more authentically and much more truly, um, which is hard work, you know, because sometimes you just don't know, like, what is it really your opinion? Is it someone else's opinion? But it's getting more and more clear, which is cool. Love yourself. Love, love yourself. Speak yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what was your, what was your path to freedom? Like, really, you, you, again, I don't, I, our interactions have been very minimal, <laughs> but you seem like you're really rooted in, in, in authentically who you are. I don't know if I, I have any like big, <laughs> big moments. <laughs> David's again. Path. It was, David's I mean, path has always been, um, um, how do I describe it? 
Okay, like for example, I'm sorry I'm the one that I like I talk a lot in our relationship as you can see. But it, like for example, we go we go to an acupuncturist, okay? And my my case is really complex. Like I have all these things going on emotionally and physically with my health that makes my case very complex. And then you ask David how he is and my acupuncturist is like he's pretty balanced. <laughs> like, like he probably doesn't even really need to come that often to get acupuncture treatments, but you know, we'll work on some stuff. And it's just like, his path has just been always, I think, um, I don't want to say more clear, but it's definitely, and it's not more, it's not with more ease either, but, um, but how do I describe this? You go with the flow. A lot, yeah, a lot easier, I think, than 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 many others. That I'm I've more heard. okay going with the flow, even mm-hmm. if I have no idea where that flow is. Like yeah. when I was when I decided that I wanted to quit my corporate job, go hike the Appalachian Trail, I had no idea where that was going to lead. Like I was going to just finish hiking and then just see what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I was like, maybe. I'll just love a place somewhere on the East Coast and I'll just stay there. But that's why, that's why me and Jen was, um, also life changing. The fact that now I had something back in Arizona other than family to root me back in Phoenix. Yeah. So I do think a lot of, um, especially what I have become now has come from a result of meeting Jen and like where she's kind of led me or pushed, not pushed, you don't really push me to do things, but, just kind of what we just like create together. Just like, um, just, I don't think yeah, acro yoga, for example, like I would have never done acro yoga on my own, but we just went, I led her to a rock climbing retreat, um, or not a retreat. Yeah. It's a festival. Yeah. Red rock rendezvous. And she saw some pe- people just in the parking lot doing acro yoga. And she was like, Oh, I want to do that. Hmm. And then she came home and then just looked up all the available jams or classes and then kind of dragged me there. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want any part of this. Yeah, he didn't like the first few classes. But yeah, no, it was just, um, <laughs> but just going with the flow and just, um, being able to give it, give things a chance, I think, yeah. is what mm-hmm. helps me out the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you've always been very free. Like, I feel like you, um, like freedom is, freedom is always present in all of us, but I feel like you have always accepted it very, like a lot more easily than I have. You're like, yes, this is freedom. This is good. And I'm like, what freedom? (laughs) (laughs) And I had to like really search for it to like accept this feeling. But yeah, freedom, you just always had it. I think like you've always understood it really well. We're also, (laughs) (laughs) but it's kind of nice because like David describes this and it just reminds me of how, like when I met David, I just felt like he was the yin to my yang, like we're each other's yang and yin. And so it kind of works really well as a partnership to like move through life together, (laughs) like pulling and pulling each other. People usually think I'm the yang because Jen Jen teaches yin. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's all the way around. Yeah, I mean, it always changes, but for for the most part, I'm more of a young energy and David's more of a yin energy. That's, yeah. I, uh, yeah. That seems very true. Yeah. <laughs> How can you tell? <laughs> 
so I want to, I want to get into that more. I think that's really interesting. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to, to what you were talking about with, with your family and, um, coming here and feeling safer. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge is we're always surrounded by this illusion of safety. Mm-hmm. We all, we all are pretending that we don't know the end of our story, but we all hundred percent know the end of our story. It's a hundred percent guaranteed. We know the end of the story. And I think there's actually a remarkable amount of freedom in that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we're all wanting to know what's next. And that's why I'm really curious because there, it requires a certain amount of self-confidence to do things where you don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the potential power, all of the potential, potential period in life is from the things that we don't know. The moment we, we say we know something, we've completely ceased the possibility of expansion. Right? Mm-hmm. We put a wall, we put a parameter in front of us. I know this, well then we can't pro- progress past that space. Mm-hmm. So when you do something that you don't know the answer to, a lot of people are, most people in society prevent it from doing things that they don't know the answer to because they don't know the answer. Right. Um, and we know the answer to everything and we know the answer to nothing all at the same time, right? Like, <laughs> this next breath might be my last one. It might not. But I know at some point there will be a breath that will be my last one. Mm-hmm. Where did you find the self-confidence to do those things? Like, a, more specifically, just because this is a question that's really personal to me. Um, do you have a background, uh, an internal dialogue going with negative thoughts? I would, I want to say no. I usually, wow. <laughs> the first person. so the, I'm, I'm the exact same way. I have no negative internal dialogue mm-hmm. and you're the first person that I've ever found that. And when you started saying things, I was like, this guy's going to be the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I do want to say there was um, a period, just like a small year where things just felt like it was crashing in. And that was the only time that I think I have felt this is before I met Jen. Um, it's like during the great, uh, the great recession, mm-hmm. my dad was losing them, you know, uh, foreclosing on the house. And there's like a bunch of stuff going on where that moment where I did start thinking just about all the bad things that could happen. And I think that, yeah, that I did have that negative self thought and just like feeling and that whole year just felt really, really sucky. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't want to go back to this. <laughs> And I don't know how I got myself out of that. I think a little bit, that was a little bit of, of what led to my decision to hike the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. And just kind of like stepping away from, I think in my mind, stepping away from society, just being more in tune with nature. Because mm. I've always been interested in hiking, rock climbing, outdoor stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that has helped a lot with just not dwelling on the bad things that could happen, can happen, or did happen. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where, I don't know exactly where it came from. Maybe it's just, maybe I don't not think about it. Maybe I'm just ignoring it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, it's, it is interesting because I, hanging around with Jen. Yeah, because that's, (laughs) that's definitely something that I, every day, have to like overcome Mm -hmm. is negative. Um, yeah, negative, like self-talk, self-thoughts, all yeah. those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm, for sure. Like, so, every day is a battle, like, waking up, and I'm like, yes, today is going to be a good day, but I have to remind myself of that. Because mm. if not, it, it 
can spiral down really fast, surprisingly. Yeah. You know, because I... Just, yeah, seeing it from the outside, I'm just... Sometimes I, I get confused because I'm like, why... <laughs> Why do I feel this? <laughs> do you ever, when you wake up, think today's going to be a really good day? No. You don't. I don't no. see the exact same way. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. I, just I just know today's going to be today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. This is amazing. You, you literally. This is I, amazing. <laughs> I'm learning so much. <laughs> I had no idea. I'm like, no, I thought everybody did this thing where it was like hard to wake up sometimes. So that's the, that's the really interesting thing for me is because we only know what goes on in our brain. Mm-hmm. So I only found out about negative self-talk like 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and now it's like my whole world paradigm has shifted and yeah. I have to like really think about the way that, that other, other people are perceiving risk and mm-hmm. perceiving challenge. And I actually think there's there's a remarkable amount of, you know, when you get into those experiences that are, that are really, um, pressure filled, mm-hmm. right? So you, you're saying the experience for that year, that was really difficult. Um, getting into that and then coming out of that, there's so much freedom mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, all those things like I thought that was going to be bad. That wasn't bad. That was fine. That was fine. <laughs> this is, this is amazing. <laughs> and then you're just free to do anything. I've been describing it as um, we, the illusion of safety is our opportunity to, to build a wall of protection around ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So we can build this wall and we can build this wall and we can build this wall and eventually we will build ourselves a prison. And then we have two choices. We either set everything on fire and free everything mm-hmm. or we live in prison. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Set it on fire. Yeah. (laughs) Burn it all down. And then the little hot pokers of things that are terrible can't hurt you anymore. Right? It's like if you've burnt everything in your world down and someone comes at you with a hot poker, you're like, (laughs) 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 that's amazing. Oh, I love that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's rad. That's making my whole life. <laughs> I'm just like now learning this about David. I'm like, wow, so <laughs> I knew it, but yeah, just yeah. putting like just having like a somebody say it out loud. It's like, yeah, because it's true. Because I have always asked him, like, do you ha- ever have feelings like this? And he's just like, not really. <laughs> yeah. Not really. I'm like, wow, I have like a million feelings like this every day. But no, but like, also yeah, being aware. Having to be aware that other people are feeling that is important. Mm-hmm. That's really important. Mm-hmm. It's like massively, you can't, you can't have, um, connections with people without it because mm-hmm. you're starting at different places. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I'm here and, and you have to get through all of this stuff, the amount of energy you have to burn just to get to where I am on this thought process yeah. is like daunting. Mm-hmm. So somehow I have to come back and like, let's, let's meet in the middle here and then we can walk through the forest of danger this last half bit and then we can get you here where there's no fear, but it's my responsibility to come back and meet you. And it's not your responsibility to go through all that scary yeah, stuff. That's why I'm tired all the time. <laughs> no, it's true. It is. it is true. It's true. And yeah. it's why, it's why when, when you're talking about like, how, how you have, how you have that like energy deficit, right? Where it's, mm-hmm. you're working so hard to just get mm-hmm. there. And then it's like, psh. boom, it's right there for me. I haven't had to struggle through all of that right mm-hmm. stuff. So for him, yeah, it's amazing. It's really, so cool. it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of mental work and mm-hmm. 
20 percent this will this will take me into to where i want to go anyway so um 20 percent of our our caloric intake our caloric burn happens through thinking right Mm -hmm. so it's this massive component of this little soft mushy sponge (laughs) is is burning 20 percent of our total energy through life and um we really forget that fact like we really forget how much you can drain yourself just allowing your thoughts to cycle and just allowing your thoughts to repeat and repeat mm-hmm. and repeat. And it's just let that go and you free up massive amounts of resources. And I want to, I want to dive now in, like, I, I think it's interesting that we've talked about this like really physical practice, mm-hmm. right? And this very physical acro acrobatic practice, which mm-hmm. you, you, really clearly put that little line of delineation in between yoga and acro. Mm -hmm. And when I think about yoga, the, the actual movement, the postures are so, so, so tiny, such a tiny speck of potential. Mm -hmm. And yet culturally and almost worldwide now we've, we've taken, we've taken yoga, this, practice that can truly connect you completely to the cosmos mm-hmm. how we made it about how we can forward fold coming from this athletic perspective right where you have physical capabilities that are able to do anything how does that how does that integrate into your to your individual worlds and I think it's interesting because I think you guys are, you, you play on both lines of this, which I think is why it's a really mm-hmm. interesting question for me to get from you guys. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> <laughs> what she, I, she used to do debates. So, she, <laughs> <laughs> so this is a delay tactic. <laughs> okay. Think, think, think. I'll repeat it just to distract everyone. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm really interested in, is, is getting, it's back to this, um, how do we get people back to the realization that they don't know, right? So we talk about yoga as like this advanced thing. Mm-hmm. What I can, what I know about yoga is essentially nothing, right? I, I know this very tiny, minuscule piece of yoga, but I know that through my practice, I can experience things that I can't believe are are possible. Mm -hmm. And yet we as a culturally, we societally through, through this like societal pressure are just pushing towards, I hate using the word asana because I I don't like taking those Sanskrit words and um, applying meaning into English Mm -hmm. because I think it's a a cop out. Mm -hmm. So Movement is a, is a fine way to describe it. Whatever it is, the physical postures of mm-hmm. yoga is what we're pushing. Everything is pushing towards and we're taking, there's like societally we're taking out yeah. the, the spiritual aspect, mm-hmm. which, so we're pushing into, I would say one, one millionth of the potential right. and we're throwing away the million percent of potential. Why? That's what I want to know. Why are we doing this? <laughs> ego mm, yeah for sure I think it's when you approach yoga from a place of 
like limitedness, mm. right? Like when you say you set these boundaries and this prison for yourself, if that's all you know, that's mm. all you're going to know. Yeah. Um, you don't know that there's other possibilities out there. So when you identify with your own ego, like that is your full identity, which really is just one of your many identities. I mean, it's, it's limitless really. Like we don't have to cling on to this one persona, this one, um, what we believe are, ego should be or mask or whatever you call it should be. And so it's when we get hyper attached, I think to, um, this identity of ours that could be real, could be false, most likely false for many of us because we don't really know what our real identity is. Um, it becomes really stuck. And I think that's why in our modern day society, especially from a yoga perspective, we, you know, we want to get to that next thing, right? Because in our society, being the best at something is really good. Like mm. being really good, being very advanced at something is very good um, from a general sense. Mm. Like I think our society believes that. So because our society believes that, our ego's like, yes, like I want that as well. And you, um, yeah, you become attached to that. And I think that's why we we limit our view of what, where yoga can take us on a really energetic level. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of, I mean, there are great practitioners out there that talk about this energy front. And, and I think there's definitely more that are like in the pipeline that we're all like learning about it, like connecting to it on this like, um, energetic level. But yeah, you have to be awake to feel it because otherwise you're just doing the poses automatically anyway. Like, it's just like, you're just going through the motions, which is what many people do throughout life. For sure. On a, not like simpler level, but I think a lot of it is just the whole going back to the peacocking. Mm. People see what we, when we take our phones out, pull up Instagram, who we see our physical poses. You sure. don't see the work behind it, the work behind it, the work that is being done you don't know you can't you can't see for sure the spiritual <laughs> work so I think for most people when they see that they're just like I want to be able to do that yeah mm -hmm. and they go to class and then you can hear you can yeah you hear people they're just like oh yeah you just uh, just do this and do that mm -hmm. and get into the pose and that's what mm -hmm. most people just see yoga as I don't think it's mm -hmm. a bad thing about about it for them they just yeah. don't know that's just where they are at in in life, in their spirituality, in their understanding of their of their own selves. Yeah. And it's just um, for me, like you have to just meet them there. Like you can't force them out of that. You know, mm. you can live your life in a way that is a little bit more open to that realm of spirituality and energetic, you know, stuff. Um, and then maybe maybe they'll start to get curious and question it as well. But like, that's what I've noticed is that you can't force anybody to see things the way that you see it or For feel sure. things the way that you feel it, especially in yoga. But the best that you can do is ex maybe explain and share what you know so that people will Isn't that the only thing questions. we can do, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting a couple of times in there. I think Jenny used the word belief. Right. And belief is just a, something that we tell ourselves when we don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, the only thing we can really truly share is our, our individual experience. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, the moment you attach to something, you've limited your capacity to experience. Mm -hmm. right? 
the moment you've drawn that that line, there's mm-hmm. there's no more there's no more expansion. And it doesn't even have to be hyper attachment. Yeah. You said hyper attachment. I think it's any attachment <laughs> provides that limitation. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. Okay. So, <laughs> yes. Now I want to. Let me last last question on this point. I, I really love this point and getting both of your perspectives on this. I actually think that our job as and you you may have heard me speak about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think our job as as yoga teachers is is not to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Our job is to create as much disruption in their thought process as we possibly can so that we can create these, these desires, these internal desires of, of exploration. Mm. And I think that the, I think actually culturally, um, those of us that are teaching yoga have been taught to provide support to people. Right. And have you heard this from me? So this is a thing that I talk about here that, um, I, I think that the space, the physical space should be protected and sacred enough that it can provide all the support that any student ever needs. And that as instructors, it's our job to know that everyone's safe Mm -hmm. and to rip them forward into the universe Mm -hmm. and like try to expose as much of the universe as possibly exists Mm -hmm. within your capacity to share. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this. You did. You have to. No, it's beautiful every time you say it. So continue. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually not received as being beautiful. <laughs> I love this. Rock. I'm like, but I think it's because it resonates so so strongly and so true for me. Yeah. And and I do I do understand that. I think that when I say meeting people where they're at, I do I do think mean that I want to make sure that they know that they're in a safe space, yeah. right? So, like, it is true, like, this space in this room with these four walls, is. Just, I feel safe here. Like, mm-hmm. I know that um, I'm being supported here. But I'm not sure how I feel about dismantling their entire world. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not at once, maybe little by little. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you but, could dismantle someone's entire world in an hour, <laughs> I want to sit down with you. <laughs> And maybe I'm just kind of thinking about it too. I think it's because, hmm, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. Okay. But I do think it's really beautiful that <laughs> that viewing viewing our our work as a way to disrupt it, to disrupt like maybe like the status quo or like the the walls that have been built up to yeah. provide that like false sense of safety. Um, you know, on each person's energetic level. Well, if you think about it, exactly what you guys have said, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, that's what you're doing in life, right? Like you're living on this fringe and the fringes of society, mm-hmm. right? The people that are willing to get in a van and drive around the country. Mm-hmm. Those are people that society is not working for, right? Yeah. It, whether it's mentally, whether it's financially, in some way, they're not fitting in with how society's working. Right. And that's what you guys, you guys are like th- there, right. you're living on that capacity to do these things. And that's where change happens. Yeah, for sure. So you are disruptors, whether you want to be it or not. I know. I guess I just <laughs> never pictured it as disrupting because I just felt like it was becoming, um, like more in harmony with my own self. So like, that's why I never viewed it as 
like disrupting because I feel like for us as yoga teachers, we go in and it's, yes, it's disrupting their status quo, but I feel like it's just leading them closer to who they are as a soul. <laughs> but society is pushing them away from exactly. who they are, right? Like society yeah. is like, okay, become a, become a worker bee, become a worker bee, become a worker bee. Yeah. Yeah. And it's no, don't become a worker yeah. bee, become you and yeah. be rad. So it's like a disruption of society, but I don't think it's, I mean, I don't particularly view it as a disruption of the self. Mm. They do have to dismantle a few things to become like to get closer to the self, but the path has to shift too, right? Yeah, like, cast, yeah. That that path without without every event that happens in our life, our path goes a different direction, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how small, like me turning my hand over here yeah. changes how yeah. this whole thing happens. Yeah. So inherently we have this capacity we we're, we have disrupted their path the moment yeah. we cross paths with them the moment you have a conversation with somebody the moment you smile at somebody yeah inherently sure. that just it disrupts their their previous path that. yeah <sighs> and i i just think so i think what's interesting right when i had this conversation with with everybody and as a group uh-huh. there's there's a there's a a recoil mm-hmm. and part of it I think is that you're not willing to embrace the fact that you're a leader mm-hmm. and you are you don't have a choice mm-hmm. by profession you've chosen to be a leader you're standing in front of people and you're telling them what to do <laughs> how, how more can sure. we define leader sure I, never, <laughs> I never never thought about it that way I never <laughs> wanted to become a teacher <laughs> it's too late <laughs> and here I am <laughs> Yeah. Who did you guys see yourselves becoming when you were 16? <laughs> this is this sounds silly. Okay. I, I had a lot of different paths when I was 16. I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to become president of the United States. So I think maybe I did see myself as a leader back then. <laughs> good. I was doing um, debate at the time. And like, you know, we the people, which is like this constitution government thing where we went to D.C. and competed and... Did all this stuff, and I was like, "Yes, I can be president." For yeah, sure, for sure, you still can be president. <laughs> I don't know if I want that. <laughs> yeah, you might not want that, but you still can be. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely, definitely in a role helping people, and and in a role where I can make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why I was like, a doctor, a doctor can help people because mm-hmm. they help people heal. And the president has lots of power to like, at that time, I really believe the president had a lot of power to like make influence and make things go. And, and like the world is messed up. I can, I can help it go in a better direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, those were the two things. <laughs> those are good things. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. For me, I think, like, thinking back, I've never had a very, very strong, I think it's that same thing mm. that, like, I never had that strong desire to be something mm. other than, um, I knew my parents wanted me to be a doctor because that's what Asian parents mm-hmm. want. There's kids to be, I'm sure all parents want their kids to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, which my dad was. So mm. in my mind, I was like, oh, it's going to be probably a doctor, engineer, or seeing my dad, he also did some real estate business on the side that drew me to business, which is one of the big reasons why I studied business, is 
those were kind of the three things I could see myself becoming and talking to school. And I was like, I do not want to be <laughs> any, any of these. Yeah. But I have to get, I have to get a degree. So I chose business and mm-hmm. it was just, yeah. I never imagined myself to be like a businessman, a doctor, a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I think I just wanted to be, I might be the same thing, just like free, just mm-hmm. living life. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe helping other people along the way. Yeah. Hopefully making Little some money I know. <laughs> as I do it. <laughs> so that you can eat, you know. <laughs> <Except that. laughs> so I talked about this. I talked about this yesterday, I think, in classes. I'll show you how my classes can go off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we started out we started out talking about uh Ganesh and a race around the world and we ended up talking about um how we all are backwards in this necessity for money, right? We just, mm-hmm. money becomes this thing that we put in the front of our, our needs pile. And the reality is money is infinite. We can a hundred percent as individuals make more money all the time, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And as a society and as a government and as institutions, they a hundred percent print more money, create more money all the time. Yeah. It's happening every day. Mm-hmm. The only thing that we don't have, we can't create more of is life. (laughs) And there's two ways that we can, there's two ways that we can give ourselves maybe a little bit more life. So I'll I'll start there. The first one is we can make life miserable, right? So if you go into, I I was using, you go into a a yoga pose that you're just, you're way beyond your capacity for Mm -hmm. and physically you're in agony. Well, that next 30 seconds is going to seem like 30 minutes. So that's a, we could make our life miserable and that can make us feel like we last a really long time. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's a terrible way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing we can do is we can take care of ourselves, right? So that the time that we have here, we have more capacity to do things with that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my life cycle, I'll go through these stints when I'm like really engaged and energetic with everything that I will sleep between two and four hours a night. And I did that on a, on a, in a broken way from 13 to 25, where I would sleep maybe two hours a night. And that caught up with me. But now I can get there where it's not just through like redlining everything. Mm-hmm. It's through just joyous engagement with the world and I don't have this necessity to shut down and I can get, I can't get everything I want to get done, but I can get a lot done in 20 to 22 hours a day. Thinking about, that's what I want to go to. What is the, so everybody, there's a lot of, there's a lot of medical research out there that will tell you, you need eight to nine hours Mm -hmm. of sleep. Mm -hmm. What are the other, what are things that you guys have found that are like, medically given or societally given as things that need to be done that you found aren't true to make your body run optimally. Mm. And if you don't have that, what are, what are things that we are doing culturally that are really detrimental to health? She's going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I need 
you think about that for a little bit, but I wanted yeah. to ask you about that whole making life miserable. Yeah. You know, like the 30, 30 seconds be, can be 30 minutes. Yeah. But without pushing yourselves into that point of either not, hopefully not being miserable, but like uncomfortableness. Yeah. There isn't, there's, um, the potential to grow, grow or will not be there. You're just comfortable where you're at and you're not pushing yourself. This, I'm thinking about this more in the physical. Well, I would say, like, so I would say that when you're not growing, you're miserable, right? Because as humans, okay. we have a desire to constantly expand. It's yeah. the one thing that I think is a universal desire in all humans is to get better, feel better. Like something in us wants to get bigger and better always. Mm-hmm. So, I would say people that are playing that, like try to hit it down the middle and try to never make a mistake. That's the, as miserable as you can possibly make mm-hmm. yourself yeah. where it's like you, right. You're like, let's hit it and let's see how far it goes. And then when we find that out, then we'll hit it again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay. So you're pushing yourself to the point that, you know, you're allowing yourself room to grow, but you're yeah. not, yeah, you're not going to hold that pose for as yeah, long as you can. A yoga pose might be the wrong thing with you guys, but if you mm-hmm. said like, I'm going to push a nail into my hand, like that would make, <laughs> that would make a really miserable day. If yes. you just, they're all day. We're like, I'm just going to see how far I can push this nail. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be a long day. Yes. <laughs> oh, that makes a lot of sense. I really yeah. needed to hear that actually, because I am in the process of deciding if I want to study Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Yeah. And like, it's talking about nails, needles going into the body. (laughs) Um, and I keep asking myself, I'm like, life is really good right now. Like I've been working to get to this point where I feel this freedom, right? So I have the freedom now to make this choice, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. Such a privilege, right? But again, I go back to these old habits that I know now are habits, right? Because it doesn't, I don't have to attach or to accept this this old habit of mine, but it just goes back to this fear of uncertainty and how, yeah, I do want to be perfect and I do want to be really good at what I do and what I'm doing right now, I'm really good at. So I'm like, why am I making life quote unquote more difficult, more challenging if life is good right now? Like, I love what I do. I love teaching. I love it so much. Like it brings so much healing to my own space. And that's, I think, why teaching found me was because I needed to heal through teaching, which is amazing. And I, that's something that I just realized, like in the past six months, I was like, oh, teaching was for me. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, it's as much as me giving to other people that the, the, like the community was able to support me in my own growth and my own healing, which is so in its own way, very beautiful. But I'm having a hard time deciding on this Chinese medicine and acupuncture school because I'm like, well, it's going to be really hard. Like I have to go back to school. I haven't been in school in a long time. I also don't like studying. I'm like, I'm going to have to study. <laughs> I'm going to have to bring, um, I don't know. Like I, I, I think I'm scared that it'll feel the way that it felt when I was in college, which was a very stressful time for me to mm-hmm. manage. I wasn't, I wasn't aware enough to be able to manage my stress effectively and to understand how that affected my health and my body. And I'm coming at it now with a different perspective, but um, I really needed to hear that when we don't grow and we don't expand and challenge ourselves that we don't like it because maybe that's why I'm feeling this great like pull 
towards doing something that's bigger than what I ever expected in life. Mm. Um, or at least in this moment of life. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely needed to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. But for, uh, from like a health and medical, so back to your question, I didn't forget. (laughs) Um, and this one's kind of personal, but so I've recently been having some, some health issues and with my menstrual cycle. So I don't know if that's something, a topic that, that people want to hear about, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Cause it's very real. I know it's very <laughs> real. It's very real. And it's going on right now, you know, at this moment. And it, I just found out results last week of an ultrasound and I have fibroids, um, in my uterus, mm-hmm. which I think a part of me knew because I've been having these health issues for a little bit now. And it has become kind of like a new reality now, now that I kind of know what they are. And so what makes me mad from, from this societal perspective is that they're like, Oh, we'll just remove it. We'll just take care of it. We'll just take it out. But what makes me sad is that that doesn't address why they're even there in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, is it something energetic that like I brought onto my body because I, I had stress or I felt a certain way that made these, you know, make this happen to my body? Like, did I do this to myself? Um, was it circumstantial? Was it something that I just, it's in my environment that, that helped contribute to this. And so for me, it doesn't even address why they're even there in the first place. Like, even if I remove these, which is what all the doctors are saying, right? They're like, well, we just want them removed. Like, why would you not want to take them out? And when I talk to people there, they say the same thing. Like, why wouldn't you remove it? And I'm like, because I, Okay, like removing it is one thing, but the other thing is that they could just come back because of like, how did they get there? And why do I have so many? Like, there's just so many other questions that we need to address there. So from a Western perspective and maybe just from a societal perspective, it's like, oh, if you don't need it, just get rid of it, you know, but it doesn't address the core of what was there to teach you in the first place. And Mm. that's something that I'm learning right now. Yeah. And that's something that I have to, I, I think a part of it is actually letting go to these attachments. And you're right. They're not, they don't have to be hyper attachments because I've come to realize I used to view a lot of attachments as hyper attachments because they were very extreme um, in how I felt before. But now, now that I feel like I have more peace and more balance in my life, there, yeah, they can be small attachments too. And, and I'm learning to, I think, let go of it little by little and maybe a lot at a time. I don't know. There are some days where I'm just like in tears and I'm like, why am I crying? I have no <laughs> idea, but my body is learning to just let go. Yeah. And that's a way for it to do it. Yeah. Um, and I'm going, I'm going with that flow. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go with it. You know, why not? Yes. Um, yes. But yeah, so that was very personal. I have not shared that with many people. But um, again, I feel like I'm a very in a very safe place here in these four <laughs> walls with you both. And so, um, so. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for I, asking that question because I needed to share that. I really, I really think that's so important, right? It's. Mm-hmm the first thing that we are recommended is a pill or a surgery mm-hmm. and no one ever asks the why, what, what got me here to why I'm having this happen. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I loved that response. I think that response is so valuable for the world. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for asking. <laughs> I um, don't even know where that response came from, but 
From inside. From, <laughs> <laughs> From inside. Yeah. Anything to add to that, David? Yeah. I was... It was something similar to... It was going to approach that topic too, but just mm-hmm. um, kind of like just ideas of all these diets that we are sure. going on. Because um, one of the... What we think potentially brought this to light was we tried to do Whole30. Well, I mean, we did Whole30. We did try. And we did. We, were very, <laughs> we did do Whole30. Yeah, we followed all the rules and everything. Yeah. And that's what uh, actually led to mm-hmm. her either finding, just feeling it. Yeah. She probably had it there, but she felt it afterwards. But yeah. there's all these diets, great diets out and about right now that can lead to weight loss. But they're not addressing a lot of these hormonal mm-hmm. issues that's going on. Well, again, it's on the extreme. 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 That's so it's, it's, that was, I think, the, um, the issue there. Cause I don't, I don't blame like the trying out Whole30 mm-hmm. as what brought all of this to life. Cause I just think that I was supposed to experience all of this mm-hmm. exactly when I'm experiencing it now. Um, and maybe it just brought my awareness. It just heightened my awareness to it. Like maybe I'd been feeling it all my life, but I didn't realize it until I started listening to my body more. Um, But it is an extreme because it is like this thing. It's like this program that you just do for um, 30 days. And it's like you cut out all processed sugars, everything that, um, you know, could potentially bring on inflammation in the body. And we felt great on it. We're like, wow, tiger's butt. Like I felt like I was limitless. Like I could have slept for two hours a day and would have been perfectly happy and had all of the energy in the world to be productive and, and to do whatever I wanted. And it felt really good. Um, but I do think it is very intense and extreme. And I think that's what we did. Like David and I have the tendency to be all or nothing. Right. Which is, which is okay. I think we talked about this too. It's like, there's a difference between, you know, like fully committed to things and then going on to the extreme level of things just for the stubbornness of it or just for the heck of it. Right. And, um, and that's what we think. I think with food, especially with our health these days, it's been a really big focus on how we can improve our, our health through nutrition. So we're learning quite a lot, but like when you look up articles and things like that online, they just, they are on an extreme, which makes it, really sad because it's saying like, Hey, you can be really healthy because of this, but there's not very much research being done about what that can actually do to the body and like the side effects of everything that comes with it, like the hard work that comes with it afterwards, once your body wakes up to all of this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I want to hear. <laughs> no. David's like, you tell us now. <laughs> We're learning so much today. Um, specifically on, on food. Uh, not, not food, but the whole idea of what is um, society pushing on us that is incorrect. Yeah. So I okay. <clears throat> I think it's almost everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think that we've so we've we've lost. Hmm, We've lost some of the potential of capitalism to greed. And greed uh, is an interesting, it's an interesting topic. Something that, that I've, I've talked about. I'll ask you guys this question. I think this is a fun question. <laughs> okay. 
Um, there's, I want you to think of two different entities. You can think of them as businesses. You can think of them as humans. It doesn't matter. But uh, entity number one always wants more. And entity number two wants everything. Which one feels more greedy? I would say that always wants more. Oh, how about diverging opinions? Yeah, well, because okay. they're always in a place of lack. Because mm. when you think of everything, it's like, okay, I want everything. I want the whole world. I want happiness. I want joy. I want yeah. peace. Everything is everything. It's like, sure. yeah, I can want everything. I can want those things. But when you're always wanting more, everything will never be enough. Yeah. So you're coming from a place of lack and you will always want more if you know, if you feel like you never have enough. Every, everything is very inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. someone who wants everything literally it surrounds everything. Mm -hmm. You have everything. And what we've done is as a, as a, Right. Capitalism as a whole, it does. It, it's inherent that it wants everything, mm -hmm. but we've broken the, the capitalism down really into these little silos and these little silos that are controlled by very small functions. And these very small functions control these silos almost entirely. So they don't want everything. They want more of that little mm -hmm. column and more of that little column and more of that little column. Right. And I think we've lost a lot of the potential good to those silos. And therefore, our medical system is screwed up. Mm -hmm. The first thing they do is they try to sell you whatever that is. I mean, mm -hmm. being here and some people get mad at this and it's fair. Mm -hmm. It's people come in and they say, hey, I'm going to have this surgery. And my response is. I would make sure that's the thing you want to do because at least 50% of the people that get surgeries end up in a significantly worse place than they were before the surgery. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion would be go to your doctor, ask what the physical therapy is going to be after the surgery and do that and see what happens. Why? You're going to have to do the physical therapy either way. So mm -hmm. why not do it without the surgery and see if that corrects the problem? And if it does, you just save yourself a surgery, a lot of like physical and mental trauma that you haven't even taken any allocation of how that's going to affect you. Mm -hmm. And you might have made yourself better and you're probably going to learn a ton about yourself. So we sell it. We, doctors, they sell us that thing. The food industry is like, here's the thing that's going to keep you thin and beautiful and young. Mm -hmm. And it's not sorry. And then the cosmetic <laughs> industry, same thing. And the clothing industry, the clothing industry is the third most polluting industry in the world. Yeah. It's just, we are, we've, we've lost some of the good. So I think we're doing almost everything wrong. And I'm going to say this, uh, lots of people think I'm crazy and usually I'm crazy, but only for like five years. And then five years later, people are like, Oh, that made sense. <laughs> <laughs> so in five years, come back, listen to this. <laughs> All these companies now are pitching responsibility and um, saying, hey, we're going to recycle water bottles and we're going to make you clothing out of recycled water bottles, which is really interesting because as humans, as like very health conscious humans, people are working so hard not to drink out of water bottles, right? And then you're going to wrap yourself in a water bottle and then go walk around <laughs> wearing a water bottle all day. So in, in five years, we're all going to come back and we're going to say, oh yeah, wearing water bottles all day was a terrible yeah. idea. That no, I, I, this resonates with me. I agree. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the future. <laughs> <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Oh, last year is well, tell the same thing. Just uh, just there's a. Uh, there has been, I've been noticing a lot of like even big companies, they are doing a lot more work in getting into the repair versus the recycle. Yes, like the I repairing love that. Least, like you send your clothes in, they'll repair it and resell it yes. versus just making new things. Yes. And yeah, like big companies like even Patagonia, Patagonia is great just at came it. out. Yeah. Taylor and Stitch is this boutique company that I follow in David's San so Francisco. Fashionista. But yeah, they, <laughs> they, they give you money to send yeah. your old clothes back. They fix it up yeah. and resell it for a lot less yeah. just to recycle. Now, mm-hmm. reuse yeah. the product. Reuse. Yeah, it's yeah. funny, right? It's like reuse, reduce, recycle. That's the order That's of things good. that we're supposed to do. And we're all like, let's just go to recycle. I'm going to throw everything that I own in a recycling bin. And then I did my part. Yeah. We forget about reduce and reuse. And we also forget about the fact that our recycling is, it's not the magic button that we no. think it is. It's like most of what goes to the recycling facilities gets thrown trash. away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So on that subject of magic, there's the last two questions for you okay. guys. What's the closest thing you've experienced to real magic? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wait, this is such a deep question. I'm like life itself. I don't know. Being born. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Life is magic. I think connection is magic. Yeah. I think, okay, I will answer it this way. It's going to sound so cheesy, but I do think meeting David was probably the most magical. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I was hoping you would say. It's true. <laughs> no, no it's, it, but, it's, but it's so true because everything in our, I, it's funny because David and I went to the same high school, never met each other, went to the same college, never met each other, majored in the same major, had the same honors professors. We did all the same programs as well. Like he played violin. I played violin. We were in the same youth orchestra, youth symphony. <laughs> um, we wow. Had, we had a lot of, we, he did, he, he did Muay Thai kickboxing. I did Muay Thai kickboxing mm. at the same gym. We never met each other. And it wasn't until the perfect timing yeah. that we did. And even then, I don't even know if it was perfect because I was I was dating someone else at the time. And I just remember, and I know it doesn't sound as bad as it <laughs> as it sounds, but or as it seems, but um, I just remember the moment I met David, I was like, he's supposed to be in my life. Mm. And I'm supposed to be in his. And I just knew it. Like, yeah. I just knew. And he was a soulmate from like the get go. And I didn't know what that would manifest as. It could have been a soulmate as in a best friend or as like an adventure partner or whatever. But I just knew he, I, I, I was very drawn to David's energy uh, because it was the energy I was searching for. Mm -hmm. Because as we talked about earlier, I was constantly searching for this feeling of freedom and David was a manifestation of freedom. Like he was living free. And I was just like, that's, what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, so that moment was magical, but every moment since then has been magical. And it sounds so cheesy, <laughs> but the cheesiest things are the truest because mm-hmm. that's why it's cheesy because it's so true. Um, because every moment since then has been the most magical. Yeah. Every moment that I get to spend with David. So that's right. Well, I'm excited to be a part of this magic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we all get to be a part of it. There was this um, moment we were together. You had the house on it. <laughs> <laughs> I was it's like, you better come up with something. <laughs> I, know, no, I, we were, some, I got some good stuff. No. <laughs> but it was, um, we were on a yoga soccer training in Thailand. And this is where we went to, it was a, our first retreat together, actually. We mm-hmm. just went 
out of a, on a whim, we were like, let's go do an acro retreat. And afterwards, we went down to the islands in Thailand. Mm. And we went on a boat ride, went into this magical, magical, like, it was an island, but you had to get cold. into the middle of the island. You had to go through this, like, little cavern, mm. like, swim through it to get to the middle of the island. Mm. And it was just like a little short break. Um, we had an awesome time in there, but on the way out, we were swimming out back to our boat with all with a lot of good friends. And when we came out, it was raining. Sun was out. There was this giant rainbow, and I don't know. It and was we were just, like just this. in the middle of an ocean. I have never felt so connected. It's just like to the entire connected. Universe. Like there was just this feeling of joy. Everybody was happy. Everybody was just. Yeah, that, at that moment, it was like yeah. truly. Okay, I think that, right that was the, that was also. I'm like that a was the most <laughs> <laughs> That was so okay. One more, yeah, one more, because like magic is all yeah. around. But this was a different time in Thailand. So David and I go to Thailand. We love Thailand. But the fr- like after, so I started David, dating David, and one month after we started dating, we went to Thailand together because we we're just like, why not? Like, let's go travel. And we went to the Lantern Festival in Thailand, and that was spectacular. I mean, the moment leading up to it was actually a disaster because (laughs) um, there were so many people there, and it was very claustrophobic. And I was very, I'm very small, so like I was getting like trampled over and stuff. And I was just like, "This is awful! Like, why did we even decide to do this?" But we were in the temple and they did like a a prayer for a part of the ceremony and then they just told everybody to let go of the lamps at the same time so they were the flying Mm -hmm. lanterns and that was phenomenal Mm -hmm. to see all of i mean it wasn't very um it wasn't very what do you call it eco eco friendly (laughs) but lanterns lighting up the sky yeah. and like letting all of your wishes go and letting all of your attachments go like that feeling was spectacular mm. and it was like thousands of people um so that was really cool too yeah there's so many moments this is a magical moment wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> i could go on and on i think yeah magic's around us all the time for sure <laughs> for sure yeah. yeah okay last question do either of you have a question for me? I feel like I have a lot of questions for Patrick, but I can never articulate them. I I feel like I just look at you and you just know, and then you just answer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you can't read my mind, can't you? Um, but no, not today. Fair. <laughs> today, fair. Thank, thank you, you guys thank so, you so, so much for, so much for coming for on, becoming legendary. Oh. oh, thank you.